everyone and welcome to another episode of Trick Talks. My name is Barbara Lally and today we are going to speak to author and friend of mine, Douglas Pierce. How are you, Doug? Great, Barb. How are you? Uh, how is everybody else out there? Yes, I'm good. I hope everyone else is good too. Yeah, I'm excited for tonight's discussion. Talk about one of my favorite char new characters to write about. Perfect. So give us a little bit of information about you. Uh, you're an author to a few books, and now this new character is a part of this one, I wouldn't even say trilogy. I would say what? Series. Series, yeah. All right. So absolutely. So my name is Douglas S. Pierce, and I and I uh, am a self-published author. I go under the monogram of uh, Douglas S. Pierce Books. I have two ongoing series right now. The first is uh, The Seeds of Hope, and it's an epic fantasy series about two young people, uh, who, uh, Rondell and Seldy, who meet under very trying circumstances. Uh, and it's uh, one where he has the ability to hear the hidden theme songs that people have. Uh, sort of like when Darth Vader comes on the screen in Star Wars and you can hear his theme song and and you know it's bad news. And so Rondell has this ability to hear people's hidden theme songs, and he can intuit information about them from hearing their songs. Um, and then when he meets Seldy for the first time, she's been uh, taken prisoner, kidnapped from the circus home that she grew up in and is brought on board the ship, and he has to take care of the prisoners. And when he t meets her for the very first time, he discovers that she's the very first person she's ever, he's ever met who has no song of her own. And so, um, and then he discovers that he has to be, he has to help her to find her song. So Seldy um, is, grew up in the circus and she has the ability, she thinks she's an elf and she has the ab ability to talk to animals and she's an acrobat and, and, and she's happy as she can be in her circus life before she gets kidnapped and brought on board the ship that Rondell's on. Now that's how the series opens. Um, and the first book in the series is called The Hunted Maiden. Um, and this is the cover. It shows Rondell and Seldy there. Um, and then an owl that kind of plays a prominent role at, at various times. Uh, and then that's book one. And then book two of the series so far is the Seedling Song. And uh, the uh, I'm currently working on book three of that series, The Guardian's Quest. And I've got about the first five chapters are pretty close to done. Uh, before final edits and such. Um, and in book three, The Guardian's Quest, uh, at the start of the book, Rondell and Seldy are trapped on a deserted island, essentially, um, with a wolf companion. And the mentor that helped them escape from the ship, Troll, an orc, has been killed, and he's, and, uh, or he died, and, and, uh, his body was left in a certain place. And that's important because it plays a little bit in the, in the scenes that I'll be reading here. But uh, it should be noted that these islands are not in the middle of an ocean, but they're in the middle of the sky. The, 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 this world is a shattered world in some great cataclysm thousands of years back, basically broke the world and the moon that circled the world. And so these islands are kind of... Uh, drifting in the sky and so getting from one place to another one island to another one has to use flying ships to get to place to place or have the ability to fly yourself and so um 
ships play a very important role in, in the in the series because pretty much it's the only way that these characters know of to get from place to place. And right now they're trapped because their ship, a small skiff that they used to escape the ship that they were on, the Hunter's Ghost, crashed on this island in the midst of a terrible storm that played a role in the in the first two books. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's where they're at. And so in book, Guardian's Quest, I'm introducing some new characters and one of them is a mysterious woman who has trick mm. um, and her name is Kai. She is a half elf, essentially human half elf. Uh, and she has had a very traumatic childhood. Um, and, uh, and whether or not that trauma is con- is connected to her trick is not really explored in this, but, uh, She's had at the point that we're meeting her. She suffers from tricks. She, I don't call it by that because this world doesn't know about or recognize or trichotillomania. Mm-hmm. But um, I still think that uh, it was an important character feature for Kai to have uh, trichotillomania. And I think in the scenes that you'll see, it kind of plays a, a fairly important role. So, mm-hmm. what made you want to have a character with tricks? Well, a uh, couple of things. First of all, I'm a huge fan of your book, of course, The Trickster Diaries. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've been friends for a while. And and for me, reading your story, reading your poems, and, and how important and powerful Trick has played a role in your life and helped to create the person that you are in some ways. It doesn't define you, certainly, and it doesn't constrain you, but it help, it, it informs who you are. I think, and uh, and how you react to the world and how you know all that sort of stuff. And so, one of the things that I found when reading your stories is how little role there was for other people seeing other people with trick in your life, seeing characters in TV shows or books or whatever have the same condition, so that you could at least say. I'm not the only one in the world to have this, you know, maybe feel a little less alone and maybe a little bit more understood when you were younger. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a big, big part of why I wanted um, Trichotillomania to play a role in this book, because it gives this character Kai some real interesting depth. I think it also allows me to show her strength and resilience in the face of the trauma that she's dealt with. And uh, I want her to be, I mean, she is a, to, to use a term that you used earlier before this call, a badass, right? Mm-hmm. She is a trained, she is a trained assassin. She has some serious, serious fighting skills. Um, and uh, she's not afraid to use them at all. She's very mm-hmm. confident that she has a lot of self-discipline um to get to the kind of level of training that she's got but still she suffers from trick it's Mm -hmm. something that she is aware of constantly and uh and even when she's less or when her concentration fades from it then she finds herself pulling and Mm -hmm. um it has some interesting consequences in the scenes that i'll be reading today perfect yeah i love that you mentioned you know she has really great self-control because I think a lot of times with Trick and people who maybe are 
struggling with accepting it they kind of like blame themselves like you know i don't have self-control i don't and it's like no you can have total self-control of everything this is something that is uncontrollable that's why it's an actual disorder you know exactly if it was something you could truly control all the time it wouldn't be a disorder it's 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 just a preference or something you know but Mm -hmm. but yeah because i think you are somebody you know from what i know of you you're a very disciplined person you um you you showed it in coming out with your books you showed it in in these kind of episodes and in talking with things and the way you order your life the 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 life that you live to me speaks of somebody who's got incredible self-discipline and control and still you know you still suffer from trick you still have those urges and you can control at times perhaps when you're thinking about it or when you're you know but it bothers you, it seems, from what I've read. It bothers you when you when you try to control it. And sometimes it bothers you when you're not trying to control it. So, so I think, you know, it's important for people to see themselves in literature and especially in fantasy novels. I mean, we all want to identify with, you know, cool characters. And I think it really could help somebody, maybe some girl out there who's, reading my fantasy stories and sees a character that does some of the same things that she does, but still is, wow, look, she's a badass. She can go out and kick butt and still suffer from trick. So, you know, so it's something, I I think it's important for representation. It's important for people to see themselves or aspects of themselves and characters and to know that, you know, this one thing doesn't define them. It doesn't limit them in what they can do with their lives. Yeah, I love that. I think that was perfectly worded. And thank you for the compliment about my life. Um, (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks. So would you like to read now? Sure, Sure, if you would like me to. I would love you to, yeah. All right. So this first scene is in the middle of chapter three. And it's the very first scene where the reader is introduced to Kai, but we don't hear her name at this point because no one else is interacting with her. Okay, she's just at a, at a scene, and she's coming upon the wreckage of the of the skiff that Rondell and Seldy had come upon, or had crashed on the island on. Mm-hmm. The visitor paused at the edge of the woods, overlooking the wreckage. The line of wind-blown and storm-damaged trees provided little real cover, but it was all she had. Crouching low behind a fallen evergreen, she pushed her hood back far enough to have an unobstructed view of the remains of the skiff. The wind howled over the roughened edge of the cliff about a hundred yards away and snatched at the loose ends of ropes, tattered tarps, and bits of sailcloth. Various dangling objects clattered or thumped against the bigger, less mobile pieces of debris in a random symphony of loneliness and desolation. Watching for any kind of sentient movement, her thoughts kept drifting back to the questions she was unable to answer. I don't even know if anyone survived that blasted crash. But someone must have, because Trow's body was too composed, and there weren't any other bodies despite all the blood in the area beneath that bit of overturned hull. Completing her visual sweep, she turned her attention back to the now-empty spot where the tarp-covered body had been the first time she explored the wreckage. What was Trow doing on the hunter's ghost in the first place? What happened to his body? And blast it all, how soon before these blo- those bloody blasted the steers come looking for their missing skiff? 
Prowl had always been one of her favorite visitors when she was young. It had been devastating to find him, uh, to find his body alone and abandoned on a deserted island. Seeing such a familiar and beloved face so unexpectedly had set her scalp to tingling and reignited the urge to start pulling again. A small pile of raven hair, of raven black hair, had formed before she had even re realized what she was doing. Ashamed, she had tucked it inside his tarp as a small tribute to his kindness to her over the years. I should have lit a funeral pyre for him, despite the risks. Such a signal would have been seen as a sign of distress by any passing ships, and very few vessels in this region would be friendly to the likes of her, especially not the crew of that blasted ship. She shuddered at the mere thought of coming face to face with Clard the Steer or his twisted and tainted brother. She had only seen Valk once before, years ago, and from quite a distance. But for, for, but for someone who had, with her experiences and training, it was easy for her to spot the signs of corruption of the Song Chul. Her scalp started to tingle again in the all-too-familiar area. Blast it all, I will not succumb right now. She pulled her hands down and away from her face, balling them as tight, into tight fists before pressing them against the cold, wet ground. There's too much to do and not enough time to do it. Ma and Da sacrificed themselves to give me this chance. I can't squander it by wallowing in self-pity. Satisfied that no wild animals or people were moving about the crash site and that no ships were visible on the horizon, she stood up and stalked toward the wreckage. Out of both habit and necessity, she wrapped her right hand around the stock of the small, loaded crossbow dangling from her belt. The fingers of her left hand idly teased with the fletching of the extra bolts. A full dozen of them. They were nestled in the quiver strapped to her left thigh. All right, so that's the end of the, the introductory scene uh, where, we, where the reader sees Kai for the very first time. And you can wow. tell that she is, she is somebody who's, you know, armed. She's on her own. She's not really afraid, but she's cautious and she's, you know, watching for danger. Um, and, you know, I, there I had the, the, the tingling of the scalp with the sense of danger and her remembering of how she had pulled without realizing she was pulling and then tucked the hair inside the tarp of Charles' body, where Charles' body had been. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think that was a beautiful representation of Trick. I mean, the second you were like, the, the scalp was tingling, I was like, oh, yes. And then, the you know, removing the hair, that's like a big thing. For me, and I've heard from other tricksters, you know, seeing the hair on the ground and like literally either wiping it away or putting it in a, in a pile and kind of throwing it out because you don't want to see how much you pulled out. Right. And the importance of, of that little thing where she realized that the hair was there and she tucked it inside the tarp where Charles' body was, that's actually how Seldy, in the very first chapter of the book, had told Rondell that there's somebody else here because there's some hair that was tucked into the, you know, when she moved the body, Charles' body, she found the hair. And so it it was important for um, Rondell and Seldy to know that there was somebody else on the island. Um, also, you know, in reference that she had visited that crash site before where Charles' body was, you know, she left boot, boot tracks and, and something that neither... Rondell or Seldy had been wearing at the time that they were in the crash site. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I want it to be 
subtle enough to, to, to be an important aspect of this character, but meaningful that people are people who know what trick is are going to notice it. And even mm-hmm. some that don't know what trick is, they'll think it is an interesting character trait, perhaps. Uh, yeah. And I don't see, like, I see it as something that, like you had mentioned, it adds to her depth. It's not like, it's not like the character's like, oh, what, you know, that's so weird. She's pulling her hair. Can you believe it? It's actually like, she's doing this thing. And while she's, you know, looking at a loved one, you know, someone she really appreciated visiting and like a familiar face is now, you know, gone. She's going through these emotions and she's also doing this. She, it just is what she's doing. It's not her being like strange or weird. Right. And absolutely. And another thing is that, you know, earlier in the chapter before that scene, that opening scene for, for, for uh, Kai, Rondell had, and the wolf Shadowfang had come across a place where they found that she had been as well. And, and the wolf mentioned, Oh, look, there's this interesting bit of fur over here, you know? And, and uh, Rondell says, wait, that's not fur. And he touches it. And through his ability to sense the, Tyres or the songs of the people, her little remnants of hair triggered a memory of hers that he was able to to kind of experience that gave him some knowledge of her. So in the next scene that I'll be reading from chapter five, um, you're going to see Rondell utilizing some of the knowledge that he picked up from her having, uh, you know, her having touched or from him having touched her hair and sensed a bit of her memories and such. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, so he knows something a little bit about her. She doesn't know anything about him. And so when, when we, um, when we see the next scene, so. Perfect. Please let's, I want to hear it. All right. So this is uh, the opening scene of chapter five told from Kai's perspective. And she has just noticed well, she, she has seen Rondell and, and the wolf hiding in the tree line just where she had been not that long before. Is he brave or just stupid? Kai jammed the iron bar into the widening crack in the chest, picked up her crossbow, and turned to face the strange man, strange man moments after he emerged from the fog-shrouded tree line. He was walking straight toward her, his feet dispersing thin tendrils of mist with each step. Given the distance remaining between him, there was no need to rush. Shards, it looks like he's been been used hard and put away wet. She couldn't help smiling at how the expression that Ma used so much came to mind. It definitely looks like he's been through a shipwreck. The torn and tattered bits of clothing that hung loose on his thin frame may have once been a uniform of sorts, likely that of a low-level crewman. His dark blue jacket was battered and torn in several places, but enough of it remained for her to recognize the style as being fairly common to many of the privately operated ships within the Guild Alliance. The tunic beneath the jacket was discolored, ripped in places, and heavily stained with what appeared to be old blood. His trousers may have once been the same shade of blue as the jacket, but they had faded more over time. The pants were so loose that they were being that they were held up only by the grace of an old leather belt, and the bottoms of each overly long leg had been rolled up into cuffs that flapped around a pair of black boots that were so new as to be jarringly out of place. He picked his way across the rough ground between them, wincing every few steps, providing further evidence that he was still getting used to the boots. The fog grew thicker behind him as if it was was following him. A cold shiver traveled down her spine. She ignored it. 
As the stranger closed the distance between them, Kai looked for the clues to his, as to his intentions. His face had the sharp angles and sunken cheeks of someone who had not been eating well lately. His most striking features were his large brown eyes and the surprising power of his gaze. He didn't move with the grace of a trained warrior, nor was he particularly imposing in his overall size. Yet there was a confidence in the way he carried himself that reminded her of Da. She pushed that thought aside as, she, as he approached her within 20 feet and, clear, and cleared her throat. That's close enough, her voice sounded harsh and raspy as she called out into the swirling wind and raised the crossbow to aim it directly at his chest. She slid her finger onto the trigger and paused. Keep your hands up and away from the hilt of that blade. Hello, the stranger replied in a strong and clear tone that cut through the wind as he raised his arms above his head. Easy now. His eyes looked onto hers, transfixing her as his presence washed over her with such a palpable force that her scalp was set to tingling once again. I'm not looking to hurt you. Even though the stranger had stopped, the roiling mists continued their slow and steady advance toward the coast. Behind her, the constant wind continued to flow up and down the edge of the island, but the low rushing howl died down to a whisper as an eerie silence descended over the area. The cacophony of clatters and bangs from the debris field faded away as if the sounds were being somehow absorbed, most likely by the thickening blanket of fog that was settling in around them. The tingling in her scalp intensified, but she forced herself to focus on the stranger rather than, the satis than satisfying the distracting itch. What in the blazing fires is going on, she thought to herself. Why isn't this fog being dispersed by the winds or being burned off by the sun? You know, it's blazing bold to approach an armed stranger in the wild. Blinking at the surprising power of his, of his arresting gaze, she strained to keep her voice steady. She tightened her grip on the crossbow. What do you want? As you can see, I had a bit of a rough landing during the storm. Seemingly unperturbed by the weapon pointed at him, he offered her an enigmatic smile and waggled the fingers of his elevated right hand in the direction of the fog-shrouded fog wreckage strewn about the landscape behind her. So I was hoping that you might have a way off of this island. His eyes quickly narrowed, however, and his voice took on a hardened edge. But more importantly, I need to know what your connection to Drop Newell is and whether or not you've been waiting for the seekers that will be arriving here shortly. Drop Newell. Her vision became blurry. A shiver tore through her body. Her scalp burned with an intensity she hadn't felt in years. She doubled over as if he'd punched her in the gut, fighting to hold back the mixture of searing pain and boiling rage she felt at hearing that name again. A stinging chill started in her right shoulder and slithered down that arm and that side of her torso. Simultaneously, as the inky black lines of the long dormant Skaraji emblazoned on her body, stirred to life beneath her clothing. Drop Newell. That dreaded name echoed in her mind, triggering an avalanche of unbidden and unwanted memories. Of being snatched from the arms of her sobbing mother at the age of four. Of the horrible pain lancing through her body when she, branded, when she was branded with the first of several living tattoos that marked her as forever being the property of the Dequaith, of the harsh and painful physical training that stretched her to the limits of her endurance and beyond with the cruel indoctrination that sought to crush both her spirit and her will to resist, of the foul being that both her natural parents sacrificed everything, including their very lives, in order to help her to escape to freedom. Drock, no! 
Kai's defiant cry erupted from her throat. She sank to her knees, dropped her head down, and squeezed her eyes shut. The crossbow, forgotten in the agonizing rush of the long-suppressed memories, slipped from the stiff and still-twitching fingers of her right hand to settle onto the frozen mud beside her. And so that's wow. the, meet, the first meeting between uh, Rondell and, and Kai, seen from her side of things. So. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's like, so you said you have five chapters. Do yes. we have a timeline for when you think <laughs> this book may be available? Because I'm dying for it. Well, um, I would like to have it done sometime in 2022. Um, I'm also working on the second book in my other series uh, that I'll probably have done before this one, just because that's primarily already, already written in very, very rough form. You know, Rusty Bones, the my urban fantasy series. Um, I blogged his story out. So the first book is out, Omega Rising, and the second book, Omega Falling. It's in blog form, and I just got to transfer it into like story, true story form, you know, novelized mm-hmm. form. So I'm hoping to make huge progress on Omega Falling over the next month or two. And if I can do that, I also I'm gonna then start making progress more progress on the guardian's quest with the idea of for sure having omega falling out in 2022 and then if not late 2022 then maybe 2023 to have uh the guardian's quest out i mean i just think you do such a great job you know telling the story from both of their perspectives while also introducing this trichotillomania to your story it's not something that's like you know this is what it's all about you know, it's, it's put in there so tastefully that if you do have it, like my, when I, you know, I was lucky enough to read some of it before, um, but right away, just the verb, like just the way that you say things, you know, the, you know, it's like my spidey sense is going off. I'm like, Oh, 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 I recognize this. Like I I've done this. I know what this means. So I just can't wait for other people with trick to read it and anyone, anyone. Well, that's awesome. Uh, and thank you so much for that, because it really means, I mean, I, you are going to continue to be my my sounding board on this character in particular, because, uh, again, everything I know from Trick, or know about Trick, I know because of knowing you and reading your material and, and the, watching other Trick talks and other, um, you know, Tricksters tell their stories as well through your blog or through your, you know, Instagram account, the Trickster Diaries. So it's super important for me to get this right as an aspect of her character. Um, And, you know, another aspect that I know that I want to carry forward in her as a character, you know, this is a world where, you know, Rondell and Seldy both have powers to do, to heal things. You know, I mean, he's been healed of a bullet wound and and Seldy healed him of, broken bones and such like that and he's helped her as well from damage from some things but Kai's trick is not something that I have any intention of fixing in this book that it's not something you know it'll come there will come a point in time where there's a conversation between you know where Rondell's going to ask her about it at some point um what she's doing and why she's doing it um you know and i'm gonna tread very carefully on that because she doesn't have a full understanding of why she's doing what she's doing she just knows that she does it and she 
knows some of the things that trigger her and some of the things that work to help her mitigate it for periods of time. Mm-hmm. But she, and you no, know, she knows she has trauma in her life, you know, and, but she doesn't necessarily equate the trauma of her youth with having tripped now. And, and so she hasn't had the benefit of sitting down with therapy or having, you know, those kinds of discussions. And um, the, I re- reference uh, Ma and Da in her thoughts patterns there. And that's not, those two people are not her birth parents, but are her adoptive parents that help her, um, that take her in when she's about eight or so and, and having escaped from the clutches of Drop Newell and his servants and the Dequaith. Um, and the interesting thing about them is that it's a, Da is related to Rondell, um, it's like an uncle, but they've never met. And Ma is actually, you'd think a female role, but it's not. It's a transgendered male, uh, well, born male, transgender person who, and the two live together as a couple. So, um, and he, uh, Ma is actually Maniocles. Maniocles is his full name. Uh, she just got calling him ma or calling her ma because that was a shortened version of her name but but it's also she saw her as a maternal figure and so but maniacles is also a former gladiator in this world where you know incredible fighting skills but had no uh but still was felt dysmorphic within their body and mm-hmm. um so you know it's a interesting set of parents that she's you know she's had two different sets of parents and a period of time when when she was basically thrown into with a bunch of other children and starting to learn how to be an assassin kind of thing so it's um you know so she's a very very interesting character and she's somebody who's hard kind of hard bitten through through life circumstances um and but she's really, you know, she has a soft core that she just hasn't been ever able to really reveal much or allow herself to to be that. And so Rondell is going to be that kind of person to maybe open her up a little bit and to see her for who she is. And it's not necessarily this killer, but as a person who wants to do the right things. So, mm-hmm. well, I have to, I have to just mention how grateful I am for you to not only be writing a character with trick but the fact that people can heal things and they don't heal they have a conversation about not healing trick i think that's huge like i cannot tell you how great that is because i think it just shows you know you can't accept this disorder that you have and you know when you're reading it if you're someone with trick no matter where you are in your journey there's always that thought oh is there a magic pill is there something i can do and being faced with it and then like not doing that is is like really awesome thank you you're welcome absolutely yeah i mean at some point i think you know rondell will offer to try to help her to you know that maybe he can do something because he has the ability with his ability to hear people's songs he also by this time period in in the series has developed an ability to heal with music of his own and, and he can see the disorder within her song that maybe he can try and smooth out. But uh, I think when he offers, she's going to, she's going to say no uh, to that. And, uh, you know, she doesn't like 
that fact that she pulls her hair. She, you know, she 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 doesn't like the bald patches, and you know, she's somebody who has long raven black hair, and you know, hidden above. And I showed you a a, a photo, a picture, or of a character art piece that's in the process, and I wanted that piece to show her kind of pulling a little bit, or at least having a, a hair in her fingers that she's looking at. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, she doesn't like the fact that she has, that she does this, but at, at the same time, you know, I don't know that she would, even when, even though she may care for Rondell later on, I don't think she will trust anyone to try and mess with her that way, because it sounds too much like what the enemy does, and so, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I think it's super important to to show that people can learn to live with these conditions, and it's, it doesn't define them, it doesn't limit them, but it, mm -hmm. you know, informs who they are. I think. Yeah, and I think too, like you said, you want to be you know represented in a fantasy world. You know, want to have like the power. You want to see like, oh, this character is like me. And I just think I think it's great. I can't. I keep saying the same thing over and over, but I really <laughs> do. I'm so happy that you know when I met you, and also that this is happening. I just am so excited. Well, thank you. And I think you know, there's lots of attempts in fantasy stories to include other types of you know issues, like you know, there's you see characters who are alcoholics or people who are depressed and suffer from trauma from the various things that happen to them. Um, but. I think bringing something like Trick into a fantasy series and then just letting it be and exist without trying to trying to get rid of it or as you know see some character flaw that this must be gotten rid of, um, it's it's affirming. I think it's also something that allows uh, those who have Trick or recognize what Trick is to see. Okay, that's cool. There's a character like like me or there's a character like my sister or somebody you know. But look, that person's a kick butt person, you know, and and, and you know ha is an interesting character. All besides the fact that they have trick. So mm -hmm. yeah, I I think I you know she's obviously my favorite now. You know, <laughs> I how to say, um, but, <laughs> you know, I can't help it. But you know, I think you do such a great job with <clears throat> developing these characters, and you you know the reader does build a relationship with them and care for them and feel like they know them like a friend you know right that's one of the things that, that I, I think is characteristic of and what i pride myself on, on telling the stories well, i mean i i i i try to layer in description and, and to really put the reader in the in the feeling of these characters in the place where these characters are and mm -hmm. I, I switch perspectives like that because i want readers to see different aspects of the story and to see from the see how different things are perceived by different characters you know um you know with rondell and his ability to see into people's songs you can see different he can see things experiences the world in a different way and i think it's super super interesting um and i think having a character like kai who's who's experienced some of the darkness that he and Selby are trying to deal with on a very first-hand level, you know, she has an experience. She's got. She's a very critical character uh, as the story goes forward. You know, they won't be able to succeed in doing what they need to do without the assistance of Kai. Ooh. So, she is critical. I love. So. Well, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, so as we kind of wrap up, is there anything that you want to speak about that we haven't spoken about yet? Um, I would just like to encourage other authors to explore issues like this, to, to, to take aspects of, of real life. Um, like I try to have a lot of diversity in my, in my stories. Um, obviously, I have a transgender character. I have a character with Trick. Another character I haven't talked about yet is going to be blind, and I'm debating whether he'll be deaf or not as well, but he'll also play a powerful role in the story. Um, and, you know, to, to, to bring, to show characters as heroes in these stories and to taking action despite the challenges they face, and they're real challenges, like challenges that people deal with in real life. Um, and I think for, for writers to, to consider weaving more of that into their stories. Um, mm -hmm. And you don't want to do it just for impact, uh, you know, just for the impact of itself, but to explore it and to feel, I mean, as a writer, I think my most, I learned the most from getting in the heads of these characters and trying to imagine what it is that they're feeling and then express that, you know, so that the reader can sense that. And so it's possible for me to do that with trick because of what you have done on the trickster diaries. Um, and I, I want to thank you for, for doing that and for being brave. Like you were, I mean, I know originally when you started the trickster diaries, you did it anonymously. Right. Mm -hmm. And over time you started revealing more, you become confident to reveal more of who you were. And I just fell in love with you as a person, as you know, seeing your stories, you know, on the trickster diaries and then you know revealing more and more about who you are who you who you were and, and it's just it i think it's such a such a powerful thing um and so uh keep doing what you're doing and you inspire what you're doing is inspiring those who have trick those who might know people who have trick and it's inspiring people who don't have trick to explore that aspect of what it might mean in somebody's life so I think that's powerful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I truly, that means so much to me. Um, can you tell people where they can find you? Sure. All right. So I have a, thank you. I have an Instagram account at Douglas S. Pierce Books, um, all one word. Um, and then uh, I have a website also at www.douglassspiercebooks, without any breaks in that, .com. You can find my books on my website. I, I'm also on Amazon. Uh, so all of my books are available on Amazon. Uh, you can search me for, search under Douglas S. Pierce, author, on Amazon to find me. Or, the, again, the title of the first book of the series is The Hunted Maiden. Uh, the second book of the series is The Seedling Song. And I have a very, very cute and fun coloring book, which I don't have sitting right next to me. But, uh, I do. <laughs> Aha! Look at you. Sell these circus adventures, and that's that sell. That's a coloring book and a storybook that explores Seldy's life growing up in the circus before she is kidnapped, and the whole adventure of the Seeds of Hope begins. So, and then I also I have Omega Rising, which I didn't have, but, but I do. <laughs> there we go. So Omega Rising is the it's an urban fantasy novel about. Uh, the FBI's first undead special agent. Uh, 
And so that's told in the first person. It's in the modern world. And he's got a very dark and funny sense of humor um, as he explores life being dead. Mm -hmm. so. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Douglas. Obviously, I think you're a great person. You're like one of my best friends ever. And thank you for coming on and sharing your stories with us and your wisdom and your time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Have a thank great you night. You too. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. <laughs>